we give a warm welcome to everyone to evening worship today, both to those in the church here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 42. It's page 262 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. Like as the heart for water brooks and thirst doth pant and bray, so pants my longing soul, O God, but come to thee I may. My soul for God, the living God, doth thirst. When shall I near unto thy countenance approach and in God's sight appear? We'll sing verses uh, 1 to the end of the double verse 4. Psalm 42 at the beginning, like as the heart for water brooks in thirst doth pant and bray. <clears throat>
Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we thank you for these songs that we are singing. We realize that someone once called the book of Psalms the anatomy of the human soul. And it is an anatomy that you know well. And we realize that uh, in that particular song we have been singing, the psalmist's circumstances had changed dramatically. No longer able to go to the house of God with the people of God and to enjoy the things of the public worship of God. We acknowledge that as we go through life's journey that so often we take so many things so for granted and that it is only when the the well runs dry that we miss uh, the water. O Lord our God, uh, help us to stop on life's journey and be thankful for the good things you give to us day in, day out. But we reflect on these things not just because we sing a song like this. We reflect on these things because we have witnessed the horrors that have been the outcome of the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria in uh, recent days. We cannot imagine the horrors of people losing so many of their loved ones in their family circles. Nor can we imagine the horrors of children and parents lying under rubble for day after day, waiting to be rescued, and some have been, and others no doubt haven't been. O Lord, uh, help us to remember that the thread on which life hangs is very precarious and is very brittle. And uh, therefore we should make our calling and election sure now rather than risk waiting for another day that may not come. We remember uh, many this evening who would be with us here if they could but who cannot, but who can join in in a limited way because of uh, new technologies, be a blessing to them. We remember those of our number who are in hospital, and others who are afflicted. We remember those who are mourning the loss of loved ones. You are speaking to us loudly and clearly every single week of the year that we must prepare to meet our God. O Lord, our God, we thank you for the blessing of family circles. And our prayer is that we will all be together with you. And the great beyond, because we have trusted in you as friend and uh, as a saviour. We pray that you'd remember us in your mercy as a nation at this time. As we go through so much upheaval and turmoil. O Lord our God, we pray that you'd give strength and encouragement to those who seek to honour you in the positions of authority but who are facing a tidal wave of opposition. We realise that there are people in powerful positions who are bent on bringing down the name of God and the things of God and the way of God and the church of God 
O Lord our God, we pray that you would raise up those amongst us who would be strong and resolute and who would acknowledge you and give you your place and give this nation the benefits of the scaffolding and the framework that you have set in place that will edify and build up a nation in a way that is wholesome. We pray that you'd be with us this night and indeed wherever your church is gathered across the globe. We pray that where two or three are gathered together in your name you would be in the midst to bless. And we pray for those who are lonely this night as Christians who may be all alone even in this nation of ours because of given circumstances. O Lord our God, strengthen and encourage we pray. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue to sing to God's praise in the same song, Psalm 42 and at verse 5. Why art thou cast down my soul? Why in me so dismayed? Trust God, for I shall praise him yet. His countenance is mine aid. We'll sing verses uh, 5 to 11 of Psalm 42 Why art thou cast down my soul?
Now let's read God's word in the first of all in the Old Testament uh, in First Samuel and at chapter sixteen, and uh, we'll read <coughs> at the beginning of uh, the chapter. First Samuel chapter sixteen and verse one. The Lord said to Samuel. How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded, and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well, and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skilled in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, 
Send me David your son, who is uh, with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David remain in my service for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. And we'll read also in Hebrews and that chapter 11, reading at the beginning of the chapter. And we have a roll call of people valiant in faith who did things valiantly through their faith uh, in this uh, particular area of scripture now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen for by it the people of old received their commendation by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
By faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back. By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisoned. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since uh, God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Amen. And may God bless to us that uh, reading or these readings of his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord our God, we have, lear- we have read a catalogue of people, men and women, who suffered immensely because they could see by the eye of faith that which was invisible. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal. And these are 
These are truths that you have revealed to us. And uh, we thank you that you have revealed them to us. And we thank you that that passage, the roll call of people of, who have done great things because of faith, will receive the reward that every believer will receive. To be at thy right hand forevermore. And to experience the pleasures of a sinless relationship with the eternal God. These are profound truths that you have manifested to us. But we are not there yet. We are in Baker's Vale. We are in the desert. We are in the wilderness. And sometimes the sojourn is so lonely and is so desolate because of the afflictions that the people of God have to face. But may we remember that you are the author and the finisher of it all. You know what you are doing. We are as clay in the hands of the potter. There are days when if not our words and deeds are utter rebellion against you certainly our thoughts are but we pray that you'd give us the grace to master ourselves so that we would be able to harness ourselves for the glory of God be with us we pray then as we gather round thy word to explore it this night open our eyes to see wonderful things and remember our loved ones, wherever they might be. O oh Lord, have mercy upon us. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue in the same song. It's Psalm 42 and it's at verse 10. That's page 264 of the Psalter. Tis as a sword within my bones when my foes me upbraid. Even when by them where is thy God tis daily to me said we'll sing to the end of the song tis as a sword within my bones
let's turn to the book of Psalms. I'm going to look at it in the Scottish metrical version, the first version of Psalm 25. We've been going through that and we're at verse 16. Psalm 25, uh, verse 16, it's page 232 of the Psalter. Turn unto me thy face, and to me mercy show, because that I am desolate, and am brought a very low. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of, uh, of Scripture. I always mention about just how honest uh, the Bible is, and indeed how honest the book of Psalms uh, is. It goes into all kinds of experiences that the believers encounter as they go through uh, life's uh, journey. And uh, we've just been singing a song, O why art thou cast down my soul? And that is the experience of God's people very often. They are cast down. They are cast down. And if that is our experience, we've got to ask ourselves why. And we've got to analyse things and we've got to self-analyse and... um, We've got to ferret out sometimes what it is that's really getting us down. But at the end of the day, it's not just about self-analysis. It's about turning to God to find a solution to the problems that we may identify. And that's what goes on in this particular um, song. Because David says, I'm desolate. He's lonely. And he's brought very uh, low. And I think one of the translations has it that he's lonely and he's afflicted. And these are appropriate translations of what's going on here. But he doesn't just leave it at that. He's looking at what is causing him to be lonely and desolate. It's his afflictions. And at the end of the day, he's turning Godwards. Turn unto me thy face. He wants to see the face of God. And in particular, he wants to see in the face of God the compassion and the mercy of God. And to me mercy show. Now the thing about David is this. We know a lot about him from other areas of scripture. He wrote more Psalms than any other writer. But it's not just the Psalms. We can go into a a good bit of David's, not not at all by any manner of means, but we can go into a a good bit of David's history and we can um, learn from him. And this is not exhaustive by any means, but I want to go into three particular areas of his history tonight and to look at these things making him lonely. And each of these things we look at can be described as an affliction. He's afflicted in a particular way and the outcome is that he is desolate and lonely. And the three areas that I want to look at is, first of all, in his family circle. Secondly, in his encounter with Goliath. And thirdly, in his interactions with King Saul. Well, first of all, uh, the problem within his own family circle. We've just been reading it in 1 Samuel uh, 16. And you'll remember 
But the very first king of Israel is King Saul. But King Saul loses the kingdom because of his rebellion against a god. We speak, or the scripture speaks of Saul having the spirit and being given gifts from the spirit. Now that is not saying that Saul was a saved person. But the spirit can give gifts to an individual. And it looks as if the spirit of God gave to Saul the gift of leadership. The gift of being a monarch. The gift of being a king. But the problem is this. That although he seems to have been humble at the beginning and the outset of his, um, of his reign, that didn't last. He became proud and he became obstinate and he became rebellious. And because of that, he lost the kingdom. Now the kingdom is going to pass on to this man, uh, David. But it's not as if one moment God is saying to Samuel, Samuel, you go and you take a hornful of oil and you pour over David and you anoint him as king and that's it, David will be king. That's not the way it works. Samuel was instructed to do that. And uh, when God instructed him to do that, Saul is still alive. And when God tells Samuel to do it, Samuel's trembling and thinking, if David hears about that, that's high treason. I will be in real trouble. But God insists that Samuel must go and he must pour. Now let's remember what anointing was. He, he, the horn was full of oil and he would pour it over the head of David. And that's an outward statement. This man is being set aside for a particular role. And of course the role was to be the second king of, uh, of Israel. Samuel doesn't want to do it. And he explains to God that David will be angry. He will see it as high treason. So God instructs him to go and offer up a sacrifice. Now let's remember some sacrifices, they were whole burnt offerings. They were wholly offered up to God. There were other sacrifices where people would eat part of the sacrifice. There would be a, a festive meal, so to speak. And so Samuel is instructed to go and have a festive meal on, and was offering up one of these sacrifices, and Jesse is invited uh, to come along. And that's exactly what happens. And uh, we, we read there in that passage what uh, Samuel's thoughts were when, he, the, when they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. He's seeing a fine-looking specimen of a man. Surely the Lord's anointed this before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on, on the heart. And you know... So often we make our decisions on the basis of what we see. And so often we make our decisions about people on the basis of outward appearances. That's not the way the Lord operates. 
O oh Lord, we, we were speaking about that this morning. O oh Lord, thou hast me searched and known. Thou knowest my sitting down and rising up. Yea, all my thoughts afar to thee are known. And it is a terrifying thing to ponder that God knows us inside out. And, and it will destroy us. But for the fact that we listen to God when God tells us he is a merciful and he is a compassionate a God. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But he has eight sons. And this tells us something about the family dynamics. Because one of them has not been invited to this sacrificial feast. And you think, that's strange. Why wouldn't you invite them all? And there's a hint there that there's something going on. Did they think he was just too young? Did they think he was just too insignificant? No, no, he's at home. He's looking after the sheep. And you know, I, I say this often about how we... We have ideas, we categorize this person's job, this person's role, and, and, and some are at the top of the, of the ladder and some are at the bottom. And we can so easily write off the stockmen and the shepherds. That wasn't the way with God. It's true he's not at this festival meal, this festive meal. He's home looking after the sheep. There's something not quite right about what's going on here. And how did that affect David? How did that affect him? Was that one of the things he's talking about in this song? That left him desolate? That left him lonely? Was this one of his afflictions? It looks pretty much as if there's something wrong within the family a dynamic. And you know that very often is the case. But you know out there there's a world that's full of woes and full of problems and they impinge upon a believer's pilgrimage and way and lifestyle but quite often it's not the world out there that's the major problem sometimes it's a bit closer to home than that and that's why it's so good for us to stop and to reflect on these songs we are singing are the songs that were written by a man whose family dynamic wasn't quite what it ought to have been. And, and, and to remind ourselves also of this, that Christ himself lived in a family. He was wholly harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. He never ever sinned, but there were people in that family circle, brothers and at least one sister, maybe sisters, and they didn't believe him. And when you have two worlds like that, these two worlds don't coexist. They clash. And I think the sparks flew in the family that Jesus was brought up in and probably did so often. What does that mean to us on a practical level? It means this. When we're broken and when we're desolate and when we're afflicted, we can turn heavenwards to, to someone who can say to us, I know. I've been there. I've experienced it. And sometimes that can be a huge solace. 
and a comfort. Even if there's not anybody else in the face of this globe that understands the particular situation you're in. You cannot say that about Jesus of, uh, of Nazareth. But there's more to it about this family dynamic because if we read in chapter 17 at verse 28, in fact I'll read a wee bit earlier than 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Now what's going on here? Well let me set it in context. Israel is afflicted by the Philistines. And one of the major weapons in the army of the Philistines, it's hard for us in this day and age of such high-tech equipment and whatnot uh, to, to, to grasp this, but the giant who is Goliath of Gath is a major weapon of war for the Philistines. And there's one on one side of the valley you have the Philistines, and on the other side you have the Israelites, and the Israelites their knees are knocking. Why? Because of Goliath of, of Gath. And you see, David comes down and he visits his brothers who are soldiers in the Israelite army. And and the brothers are livid with them. They're just so angry with him. And, and, and they're, they, they, they despise him. He's insignificant. Who's looking after the sheep when you're down here? Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to them. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him towards another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. And here we have it again. When the words that David spoke were heard, and they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him and David said uh, to Saul let no man's heart fail because of him your servant will go and fight with this uh, Philistine well if the brothers were annoyed before and they were we've just read it they were even more angry now that this little upstart who should have been at home looking after the sheep should be putting himself forward to take on Goliath of Gath. What I'm basically saying is this. The family dynamic is completely out of sorts. Completely out of sorts. He's not invited to the meal. He's left back there looking after the sheep. And uh, Samuel is there saying to Jesse... Is there somebody else? Is there somebody else? And behind Samuel, there is this eternal God who knows who's been left behind looking after the sheep, who knows who hasn't been invited to the sacrificial meal, who knows that the sparks are flying with Eliab and the others in, in the family circle. It was a major problem. It was a major problem, the family dynamic. But there's more to it than that. There's the problem with uh, 
Goliath. In chapter 17, verse 1, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Socho, which belongs to Judah, and the camp between Socho and Azekah is Ephes-Damim. And Saul and the main of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Listen to this. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. It's difficult for us to conjure up the dynamic of this war situation because that's what it, what it is. But at the end of the day, Goliath of Gath is basically saying, I'm going to defy Israel, and I'm going to defy the God of Israel. And he thinks he's got what it takes to do that. Now that is madness. That is utter madness. But that is the madness of the human race. In, in fact, it's not just Goliath that engages in this kind of madness. Every time we sin, every time we rebel... It's against thee, the only, have I sinned in thy sight done this ill. We're taking on God. And you know, when we look in a starry night and cast our eyes over the skies, or if we look at Ben Wivis in all its glory, snow-clad, and so many other sights of the creative power of God, and you think, you're not going to take on God, are you? But we do. We do, that is what sin is. But this sinner is basically saying, I'm taking on God, and I'm taking on the people of God, but we'll have a duel one-to-one with whoever will come up against me. And of course, David's coming up against him. David is saying, I'll go. Now, even the king himself is flabbergasted. And he's thinking, how on earth is this going to work? And we've got to get all my armor onto David and make sure. And David has the armor put onto him. Now, David at that stage, I think, is a teenager, about 15 years old. And he can't handle it. And he eventually has to say to them, I can't, I can't, do, I can't do this. Get the armor off me. And you think, 
what's he on about? And what he's on about is this. In that roll call in Hebrews chapter 11, in the roll call of faith, one of the names that is mentioned is David. And what David is going to do, he is going to go against Goliath with one sling and five pebbles from a brook and faith in Almighty God. That's what he's going to do. Now, I don't know how it went down with his brothers. I don't know how that went into the mix of the family dynamic. But I don't think it went well. But we've moved on from the family dynamic to this situation with Goliath of Gath. Goliath is there with all the Philistines behind him. And the Philistines are having a heyday and they have had that for a long time now. You know, it's one thing to come up with this idea of doing something that will be valiant and that will be God-honoring. But see, when it comes to the actual doing of it, it can be a totally different ballgame altogether. That's what went on with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Marcus was explaining these things to us a last Lord's Day. It's one thing to know that you are... The only redeemer of God's elect. But when come to actually paying the price of redemption. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Even unto death. And there's something going on with David here as well. As he steps out to encounter Goliath. It's a formidable. It's a formidable a situation. It's lonely. And no doubt he was desolate. And he's facing this great affliction. But what does he do? He, he puts his faith in the eternal God. And you know, Goliath of Gath was covered in armor as well. It looks as if there was just the side, the temple of his head that was exposed. And that's exactly where the slingshot goes. It doesn't kill Goliath. But eventually, it, it, he's, he's concussed. He's knocked out. But by and by, David will go and uh, will take his life. Was it easy? No, it wasn't. It wasn't easy at all. And you see this whole thing about David becoming king, you know. First of all, he's anointed by Samuel at this event. It's another 15 years before Saul is dead. And he's anointed then. But the dynamic of the nation is so divided at that stage that only the people in the south and Judah acknowledge him as king. It will be another seven and a half years before David is anointed for a third time. And the whole of the north and the south will gather and recognize him as king. Now if my arithmetic is right, that's 22 years, 22 and a half years after David is declared to be king that he actually takes over the reins of the throne. And you know what we are like as human beings. We don't have a great deal of patience at times. We cannot wait. That was Abraham's problem. He had to wait all these years for the son of promise. And in the meantime he gave up after 12, 13 years. And he had the affair with Hagar to do, to sort out God's problem. And what a mess he made of that. And you know, here we are, 4,000 years later, and the reverberations of Abrams trying to fix the problem for God are with us in the United Nations, week in, week out, in the 21st century. 
But here is uh, David, and he waits these 22 and a half years. I waited for the Lord my God, and patiently did bear. And if you go back to the original Hebrew, it's, it emphasizes this idea of waited. I waited waiting, it literally is. I waited waiting. And, and I think there's, we're being told something of the, of the difficulty he had sometimes of, of waiting. But we all know something about the, the difficulty of having a, lack, having a lack of patience. But I must move on and, and look at the third area that I, I, I said I would look at. And that's the dynamic of his interaction with, uh, with King Saul. In uh, the beginning of chapter 19 we read this. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. How fickle are people. When, when Saul saw David at first, he absolutely loved him. And he absolutely adored him. But eventually he grew jealous of David. And jealousy bubbles over into anger. And it became bitter anger. And all that will satisfy King Saul, the man who loved and adored David, is kill him. Get rid of him. And Saul spoke to Jonathan the son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And he did learn something. And it was not good news. It was not good news. But if we go to 1 Samuel chapter 23 and at verse 15, this is, uh, this is what we read. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph. At Horish. And Jonathan Saul's son rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to uh, you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant. Before the Lord, David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. And there is, uh, I suppose at one level we can understand something of. Saul had, had the hope that his own son Jonathan would be king after him. We, we get that, we get that. But Jonathan's approach to this whole thing is so different to Saul's. Jonathan basically says, I'm going to fall in line with what God wants. David, you're going to be king. And I'm going to be there to strengthen you. Little did he know that he would be gone with his father and two other brothers in the fight at Mount Gilboa with, with the Philistines. And we've been looking at the last... Oh, prayer meetings I think it was at the lamentation that David utters 
concerning Jonathan, your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of woman. How the mighty have fallen. How the mighty have, have fallen. But for 15 years, 15 long years, the king of Israel was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against David. And if he could have, he would have most certainly just wiped him out. That was hard going. Until ultimately it gets to the stage where, and this is a hard thing for David to do. Ultimately he went to live amongst the Philistines. He went ultimately to Achish. And that was saying something. And what was on at Achish, that's another story entirely. But he is safer amongst the bitter enemies of Israel than he is amongst his own people because of the wrath and the vehemence of none other than the most powerful man in his country, or at least among his people, King Saul. What am I saying? Well, it's what David is saying. Turn unto me thy face, and to me mercy show, because that I am desolate, and am brought very low. David, why are you lonely? I'm lonely because of my afflictions. They are all bound into one. What kind of afflictions do you have, David? Well, we've just looked at some of them. Problems in the family. Problems with the enemy, Goliath. Problems with my own king, Saul. Problems all around. And yet, in the roll call of the faithful, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, you've got this man's name there. For 3,000 years, King David's soul has been in the eternal city of God, basking in the glory of the eternal God. Why? Was his life easy? No, it wasn't. Was he lonely? Yes, he was. Was he afflicted? Yes, he was. But he endured as seeing the invisible God, the God who rewards those who exercise faith in him. And remember what I said this morning about faith. Faith is the gift of God, but it's not God who does the believing. We're the ones who do the believing or not, as the case may be. May God grant that we would do valiant things because we thoroughly believe in the God who is there. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we pray that you would help us. We look at our lives and we are so embarrassed and we feel so bedraggled and wretched and so incompetent, surrounded by so many issues and so many problems. That's the way it was with David as well. And ultimately, the one who was a greater one than David endured so much in his earthly sojourn to provide us with that eternal city whose builder and maker is God. And where the peace of God reigns supreme in the hearts of all those 
who arrive there. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 43. And it's at verse 3. That's page 264 of the Psalter. At verse 3. O send thy light forth on thy truth. Let them be guides to me. And bring me to thine holy hill. Even where thy dwellings be. Then will I to God's altar go. To God my chiefest joy. Yea God my God. Thy name to praise my heart I will employ. To the end of the song. O send thy light forth on thy truth. Abide 